Jay, I would like to register a complaint. About what, Bob? I wish to complain about the security data science of which we wrote a book about these 19 months ago. Oh, yes, Data-Driven Security, the book we named the podcast after. Uh, what's, uh, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. He's dead. That's what's wrong with it. No, no, he's, uh, it's resting. Look, mate, I know a dead data science domain when I see it, and I'm looking at it right now. No, 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 it's not dead. It's, it's resting. Remarkable domain, security data science, beautiful plumage. The plumage doesn't enter into it. It's stone dead. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Data-Driven Security Podcast. My name is Jay Jacobs and joining me as usual for this episode is Bob Rudis. Bob, what is going on with you? Um, I'm kind of sad today, Jay. Oh, why? What's going on? Um, da- data science died earlier this week. At least security, <laughs> at least security data science died earlier this week and I'm, I'm kind of bumming. I got to tell you. Did you did you want to go into detail? Because I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah, there there, there were some signs on the internet that yeah. what we feared would happen with data science and information security and cybersecurity would happen has actually happened. And while I won't call out any specific article, post, etc., uh, let's just say that our, our some of our worst fears have have been realized from from this past week. And I you know I I kind of just see on the horizon. You know that the death of data science or a a long winter of security data science may may actually be upon us. Security data science. Well, I I, I can't say it in general because I don't work in every field, but I I suspect other fields might be feeling some similar, you know, feelings as I am, given you know the the number of people that graduate from various courses online and things like that, applying things inappropriately to their fields. And you know, causing maybe folks to abandon this particular track. I I think that we should just call it Bob. Security data science is dead. Wow. <laughs> no, wow. We shouldn't just call it. Well, I mean, maybe maybe this episode might help resurrect it. Perhaps we well, perhaps that's... yeah. Yeah, it's 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 not dead, but there's there's some signs here, right? And we've got history as a lesson. So you would say that security data science is pining for the fjords? Yes, that is a good way to say that. That well, no, no. no. So I would say that there's, it's headed in the direction of the fjords. Okay. Or however you say that word. Fjords. Um, fjords, Jay. We uh, have we have an international audience. Just try it one more time. Try with me. Fjords. Fjords. Very good. Very good. Yeah, the, the 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 car that security data science is traveling in is headed in the direction of the fjords. So that that's where I'm going with that. Well, you know what? We have a guest today that might to help, help us parse through this, parse right. through this, and maybe steer this car in a better direction. What do you think? You think? Do, do you think she can? Yeah. Let's bring on our guest. Okay. So our guest today is Allison Miller. You, you, you all folks might might recognize the name because she is the El Presidente of the Society of Information Risk Analysts, and and she is awesome in general, and she is wicked smart and has more patents than you can count, folks. So the the the, the this eminent data scientist that is on our, our program has been doing security data science of a form for quite a long time. So Allison, welcome to the program. Hi, thanks, guys. 
Great to be here. Great to have you. So, Allison, what do you think? Is uh, security data science dead? Is it dead? Uh, I don't actually think it's been fully born yet. So I think uh, push, push a little harder so that it actually comes out as an actual category of um, interest. Wow, that was well, a really good analogy. Yeah, it may never be fully born, I think, on the on the rate that we're going here. Um, and I, I hate to be critical like that, but... Uh, wow, it's, so it's stillborn, Jay. You're saying that it's actually even worse than I was thinking, and security data science is stillborn. Well, it, it hasn't really kicked off, right? And, like, there was that one article this week, Bob, and, uh, you know, we can talk about some of the articles that came up, but one of them said that you shouldn't do data science and security. Just flat I, out. I, I did see that one, that there is virtually no value to doing data science. Like, I guess I would say specifically machine learning, uh, which because that is only yeah. a portion of data science um, in security, right. that it is virtually worthless to do machine learning, which, you know, g I, g given that somebody said that, it must be true, right, Jay? It must be. It was on the Internet. It seems to me that it's following the normal hype curve, which is that what happens is someone has an idea there's a little bit of research done and maybe it's promising. Uh, and then you get folks who are claiming to have experience in it and kind of grabbing on to the fact that the popularity of a concept is growing. You may even see a few nascent startup startups um, showing development in that area. But then initially it becomes um, easier to gain notoriety for coming out as being against the concept than in doing the hard work of making sure that the idea actually gets traction and is applied in a useful way. So I think what you're seeing right now is the early backlash against um, the hype in the sense that I think that there's something there and I, I see that there are practitioners and researchers who are doing work that is taking root but there are also a lot of folks who just like the idea, they've read a couple articles, and now they're trying to ride the wave, and you, you see sort of the backlash happening at the coming up now, because that's an easy way to sort of explain, you know, sort of uh, the cynical view, and then you can just say, I told you so later, if, the exper if none of the experiments actually uh, get traction. So, but uh, he here's actually a very serious question. I wanted to rest up, and you answer this one too, because and I'll I'll possibly throw in an answer. Have you guys seen data science? And I'm saying that inclusion, you know, all inclusive of machine learning, data mining, statistics, all of these sort of math, math being applied to security in any sort of um, successful way. Have you guys seen much of that? Yes. Yes, Bob. Yes. Okay, because um, there's there's not a lot of it. I mean, it's not like if you think of everything that has promised to do that. And Bob, I know you'd love to go off on a on a tangent on this one, but the amount of things saying that they're doing it and what they're delivering are are two vastly different things, right? I mean, uh, agreed. I I think part of the issue is. Um, and again, this goes back to something that you and I cautioned against, and I, I don't just bring up the book to bring up the book, but we did caution against in it. And it kind of goes into that area of the Venn diagram that we have in the book that Drew Conway initially created about this whole thing 
Um, and it's where folks are kind of playing around with this whole machine learning thing, have been in security for kind of a while, haven't really spent the time to think about stats and how all this stuff fits together and the whole idea of the whole science, scientific way of learning and the scientific, may of, uh, scientific method way of reasoning and going about asking questions and learning things. And, you know, the reality is, you know, when, when people are in that danger zone of data science, that that's where the problem is. And what, what I've been seeing lately is um, a number of really good security vendors, a few of them startups as well, trying their best to represent things in a really good way and do really good data science, try to figure things out. But I think that there's a, a bit of a problem with folks in enterprises and organizations sort of experimenting and declaring success before they really understand the entire ramifications of what that means if they haven't really done it well. So Allison, why don't you talk through your experience and, and what you've seen in the application of the, the all-encompassing word data science uh, in your work? Sure. So my, my background in my first exposure to data science actually occurred uh, in, in fraud analytics. So there's a long storied history around um, doing data analysis and using different types of machine learning or just statistics um, and building learning systems in order to have better detection or prevention capabilities in credit card acceptance. So that's where a lot of the methods and the technology I think that that security looks to were actually uh, where it actually started. Um, and when when I got started in it, the concept of data science or the, that sort of term data science didn't re hadn't really um, caught fire yet. So it was really just. Um, I was working with statisticians, we were building models using SAS. It was sort of, it was exciting because it was an interesting problem space, but as far as the approach, it was pretty ho-hum in the sense that it was the same type of approach that all kinds of major banks used. So where things I think started to get interesting is when the, the platforms on which these techniques were deployed were a little more open and there were more abuse cases than just plain old uh, credit card fraud. So when these techniques started to get deployed in more wider, more um, use cases, then I think that that's when some of the ideas behind what we were doing caught folks who were in security's attention because they, they seem to naturally lend themselves to things like anomaly detection in networks or, um, or other sort of detection use cases. And then depending on how they're deployed, they move from being detection, meaning you notice something weird happened after the fact, to prevention, where if, you're, if your learning and scoring systems are wired into your system, you could actually use them to do things like prevention. So that's where the background of what um, I've been working on started and as Bob mentioned I do have a couple of patents in the area it basically in sort of graph based detection and the but the but the machine learning techniques that I'm most familiar with are actually pretty standard in the sense that in financial services a lot of folks are just using standard logistic regression models um, or in spam we use naive Bayes 
surveys or some other um, method. And it's fairly straightforward, but they're point problems. And where I see a lot of um, hope in the security world is trying to use things like machine learning or AI to find the unknown unknowns, um, which I'm a bit more skeptical of and I haven't seen as much applied um, work as folks seem to hope is just on the horizon. Yeah, and I think, you know, I'd actually, I get, I get upset saying that this is dead and I know we're joking about it, Bob, but like that article saying that you can't do machine learning in, in cybersecurity, that, that's so disturbing to me because I, I, I don't think we've exhausted even 1% of what's possible. You know, and so it's very, it's very disturbing. Like all the work that you've been part of, Allison, is, you know, I mean, that's all in fraud and, and there's definite correlations. You know, it's all transaction, just as you might have a transaction of somebody logging in or, you know, things like that. It's a, there, there's a transaction base there. But I think that even beyond that, even beyond this notion of applying machine learning to that problem, which I think is entirely doable, there's this whole other notion of everything else that we can do with it. And there's a whole other space in cybersecurity that I think is is lacking uh, the application of statistics and machine learning. Specifically around like, hey, how are these controls doing? You know, how, how do we evaluate the, the efficacy of some of these controls? And, well, yeah, I mean, so so to, to kind of expand upon that and for folks you know, who have been, who have stuck it through our, our initial um, kind of kidding around about the death of, of, of data science, really it was two articles that set at least me off, and I think it set a couple of us off um, yeah. on this. One was from Dark Reading um, about machine learning as cybersecurity's latest pipe dream. If you folks go read that, I mean, we, we'll, we'll put a link to it, obviously, since I just mentioned it, but if you go read that, um, it, it's a it's a you know a few paragraphs of pretty much you know, dousing all of the, the, the cool flames of awesomeness that could possibly happen with machine learning in a different a number of different areas in operational um, cyber cybersecurity. And I, I think it was a, I mean, I have no problem saying this, and I'm, I'm, I speak for myself, no, no one else on the podcast. It was a very naive viewpoint about, about machine learning and cybersecurity because it re really wasn't taking into account the entire process of how you integrate machine learning into some of these things. And it was focused a lot on anomaly detection. And honestly, the process of anomaly detection in many industries, not just cybersecurity, is woefully broken. And some have it really well. I have gotten it pretty well. Cybersecurity, still not so much. And machine learning can absolutely play a vital part in anomaly detection if you can create the proper feedback loops. I was going to say the other problem that he has is that he, he made this, it seemed like he was putting the two things, basically he was arguing for more analysts, right? That, that machine learning will never outpace analysts. And that is just a horrible horrible thing to set up, right? You, you do not put those two against each other. That's how does an analyst do by themselves? And then how does the analyst do with machine learning? Absolutely. It is not, Hey, we're going to, we're going to take that person out of that chair and put a computer there. Like that is absolutely, yeah. no one ever is proposing that. Right. And well, and, and, and the reverse too. So one thing that I've said on a number of podcasts is humans don't scale. And as I say in, in a lot of private circles, I really don't want like 10,000 more cybersecurity people armed with Metasploit uh, going out there and doing whatever they would do with Metasploit, you know, in, in with those with those digital rifles. I really want to be able to see machine learning, especially 
cut to a point where it's able to enable those really smart folks who do a lot of really good work to focus yeah. on doing even better work than they already have to focus on so that they can keep pace with the attackers, right? Like, and Because right now we're not keeping pace, and we could use machine learning to augment what they already do so that they can actually focus more on doing that, that core critical work. Yep. And Allison, I, a question for you uh, pertaining to fraud. How did you see that type of thing in fraud, at least in the early years? I know it's a little different. The, the incentives are quite different uh, for blocking, but I mean, was there that that moment in the evolution where the goal was to offset the current analyst work? Or was it always to try and block things in real time? Um, not a fair question. <laughs> totally not a fair question because that probably happened before I was born. Uh, but the but the thing is is that the the analytics that are used in fraud and I should also explain that I've used those types of analytics in more things than in fraud it's just that it's in fraud where I got my training um, but the the roots of how folks were working in fraud actually predate fraud prevention into underwriting I mean the it's which is which in some organizations underwriting is interknit in with marketing. So in determining how you're going to segment your customers and what types of offers you're going to give your customers in order to maximize return is it's just another variation of a a same a same problem in you know, you're trying to figure out if this customer is going to um, work out for you. It's kind of the same as, is this event going to work out for you? What's your threshold of pain? And what are you going, what are you going to do with that event? So the, if your, your question though was more about um, whether, whether the techniques were used to replace human decision or augment it. And um, I guess, I guess more. I guess more on the replace side, in the sense that, um, in in the sense that most of the most of most of the credit analysis happens in aggregate, and most of the fraud analysis happens in real time. So you don't have people. You don't necessarily have humans um, making decisions in real time. You you want as much of that automated as possible. And um, however, the automation does kick out exceptions that are reviewed by humans, and humans need to be able to make very good decisions as well. It's just understood they're going to take more time to make their decision, um, and there's a there's a more asynchronous nature to it. So it kind of leads me though to uh, another thing that I have been wondering if this is impacting how machine learning and those technologies and approaches are being absorbed in security is that um, when I think about my own career path, I have tended, because, because now that I've been sort of engaged in this data-driven approach to um, decisioning on risky events, let's just call it that because that's not just right. fraud, there's other use cases that fit in there too. I tend to go to places that are um, um, software companies at their heart, they, and they are building these systems. The 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 risk detection or the these these sort of learning systems 
are embedded into the service that the company is offering. So I have built, I am a build versus buy. And I know that a lot of security shops are buy versus build because they hire operators to secure a system versus pretend um, like software developers to build a secure system. And, and I think that that, I think that where we are in the maturity of adopting things like data driven techniques, I think they're more likely to succeed in build shops versus buy shops because the, the builders integrate them into places where they're going to be more effective and potentially you, these are big enough organizations that can afford to actually have um, folks that have that sort of data experience versus you know, being an operator in an, and on the IT side of a house that is not necessarily um, offering a data-driven service themselves, that type of expertise is not necessarily leveraged there highly enough to make that investment worth it. Is that? Yep. yep. Yes, for the listeners, they're both nodding. Um, but that whole build versus buy thing is is really interesting because you see a lot of vendors trying to to build um, tools that take advantage of security analytics, but then those tools are going to be operated by folks who don't necessarily believe in it. Nobody puts data science in a box. Is that a Dirty Dancing reference that, there? That, 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 might, that might be a, a, a Dirty Data Science, actually. Um, oh, my there. goodness. That sounds like a new podcast. I it, does, it, it does. Probably not. Some, probably something that Jay and I won't, won't be part of. Um, so so I, I think the one thing that, I, that may be a bit more disingenuous about the article, too, is it focused a lot on machine learning as if, and I know it didn't really call it data science per se, but a lot of people associate data science like directly one-to-one -one with machine learning, and that is a part of it. I mean, we tried to emphasize that in the podcast of, of the past couple of years and also the book and every blog we do and, and whatever, but machine learning is only one part. And Jay, you alluded to this earlier in this podcast, right? The There's a lot more you can do with data science than just machine learning. There's some, just some basic statistical things that you can do, like you were suggesting, just you know, use stats to analyze vulnerability data. <laughs> right, just on its own yeah. there, without without having to worry about machine learning, and and I think that that that's a danger of kind of throwing out, you know, and obviously it's dark reading, so I'm I'm not saying anything that's necessarily negative about dark reading. It's got a particular mission. It 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 acquires content in a particular way, and it serves a particular audience. So I I, I guess I will say it that way, and maybe a little bit more kinder than I might otherwise normally be, but. So maybe taking the word of someone who posts something on dark reading might not be the best thing to do. When, when you're trying to make a decision about this the, this stuff. And I, and I kind of agree with Ali. So when I was at my previous gig, right, we actually, tr we, I, was, I took my team down the path of build versus buy because I don't think that buy is, is the only option or is the only viable option 
to do something like this. I think you need to build some talent in-house for this and build some capabilities and processes and things in-house to be able to support this because every org is, is kind of a special snowflake when it comes to this. And I'm really, as I kidding before, I don't think you can put data science in a box for this. I don't think you're going to ever be able to wrap this stuff up. I think there's some companies trying to. It may work for some things like Twitter mining and whatever else you're going to do. But the reality is, is for the broad appeal things and for the very discrete stuff that you have to do, I don't think you're going to be able to do that. So I want to take the conversation in a slightly different area, uh, related, you know, but as we talk about the, the challenges against data science, challenges against statistics and all this stuff, I want to bring up a blog post, um, and I, I don't want to, we, we shouldn't tear this apart because this no, is a sign of somebody trying, right? Yep, exactly. And it's a, a blog by David Vassallo, I, I don't want to get his name wrong there, but, and it's uh, data mining firewall logs using principal component analysis. and. What he did in here is that he, he had some log data, uh, and it was big, and he took a, a sample, um, which is something we'll probably talk on a future podcast, but um, it was too big, and so, and you can read it, we'll put a link in there, and he just made a, a couple of mistakes that uh, anyone could make, and, and actually PCA is one of those things that people will come across early on as they're doing research, and and it's really easy to look at PCA and think that you can do a lot more things with it uh, than, than it actually can do. And there's some assumptions and there's some challenges with it and, and there's a limit to what it can show you. And PCA for anomaly detection is probably, which is what he's trying to do here, is just, it, it made me raise an eyebrow thinking that that would be possible, but I really was intrigued by it and so I read it. And there was just a, a slew of mistakes that, that he made that he, he wouldn't know. Like nobody would know starting out in this field. And so, Bob, maybe we could transition into talking about um, how would people know how to approach these things and how would they know they're wrong, where can they go for more information, you know, things like that. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that we are still in the stage where many other sciences that were trying to adopt a data-driven approach to how they worked were too. So, and again, I, I, going back to, and I'm going to use something that we've probably mentioned more often than people care that we mentioned, but it's still one of my favorite things, right? We still don't have our Jon Snow moment in, in information security. Like there hasn't been the aha, there hasn't been the there has Describe been that, Yeah, I was. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so for folks out there, uh, and, and we we've mentioned it before, but the but it basically go, goes back to a time when when there was um, the plague. Uh, was, so it was the, it wasn't the plague, but was cholera. It? The cholera. Thank you. So it was the cholera outbreak in England in London. Um, John Snow, a really good physician, decided he was going to try to attempt to figure out cause of a particular outbreak. And so he went and he you know, interviewed folks. He went you know, door to door. So it wasn't a survey. He actually went door to door, uh, charted stuff out, lo looked stuff up. And he managed to use those techniques to determine that it was, it was very likely that it was a water pump that was the source of the actual issue for, for folks there, where the remainder of the, at that time, so-called scientific or medical community thought it was vapors in the air, this miasma that was in the air. And, and you know, it, he, you know it, it actually took quite a while for it to become known that this was a good technique to use, and you know, it wasn't an immediate aha, whatever. But the reality is you can point back to that in epidemiology and say it was fairly you know, commonly called the birth of epidemiology because it was a different kind of approach to validating a question and actually going about trying to determine the answer for the question. And so epidemiology has, has completely gone into amazing directions since then. They do amazing work using statistics and all sorts of what I, I guess you could call data science to you know, m m make sure that we're all not dying on a regular basis, right? 
And, and I think one of the issues that we have in security is that we still haven't gotten to that point where we've had that aha moment with any of these techniques that we've been talking about for a couple of years that folks have been using for maybe more, more than a couple of years. And I think one thing that's a huge, I, I, I will call problem, and I don't like to use the word problem lightly because problems are, are, are things, right? But I think a problem that we have, or at least the situation that we have, and is there is no real forum, at least that I'm aware of, and, and we're pretty well read, to present ideas, to banter things around, to have peer review for things so that there is a way to go, oh, this might be a good approach for this, this might not be a good, good, good approach for this. There's no wealth of, of places you can go to get this information. We only touched on a number of things in what we've talked about in the past on the podcast and book. So there really isn't a large body of evidence you can go to to reference things, and there isn't a forum that folks can go to to really, you know, hey, is this a good idea? Should I try to do this? Um, you know, because right now the, the 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 way the information security stuff seems to get settled is people ranting on Twitter and people, you know, criticizing blog posts, and that really isn't going to make science move forward in, in, in at least in cybersecurity. At least at least that's my opinion. Right. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. So do you have a, a suggestion on how we get a forum to uh, peer review stuff like that? Well, I mean, so I, I I would toss out, I mean, so we this is gaming it a little since there's three folks that are on the board of directors of a particular organization. But, um, but you know, CIRA, the Society, the Society of Information Risk Analysts, we care a lot about data and we care a lot about making things better. Um, we have an organization already there, and perhaps this this is a this is an organization because risk is a fairly large topic. It covers a lot about cyber and beyond, and maybe this is an opportunity to say, look at this. This is a forum that you can enter into. We can come up with a formal way of po po positing ideas. We have a journal that we've been trying to put together for a while. You, this could be a great way to start peer reviewing things. Um, tossing ideas up in a very controlled way. We actually have a discussion forum beyond email that actually allows for civilized discussion and, and civilized debate. Um, just kind of tossing it out there that maybe a forum is there to start going and doing something like this. Yeah, I think that that's cool. Maybe there's a, maybe there's a, a more um, structured way that we could open up one of our forums so that people can bring their ideas and, and get feedback. Um, I've been thinking about the organizations that I've worked at and as you were sort of talking about peer review because I I don't do things that are theoretical everything that I'm working on is very applied um, but it occurs to me that I haven't worked anywhere where there's one data scientist right I mean it, uh, everything all, all of the uh, teams that I've worked on have had more than one analyst or analytics person so that um, the, that ideas people come up with can be tested out and things don't go into production unless they've, they've been shown that they're going to work. So the idea that um, folks who are doing science, data science is one kind of science, but folks who are doing science or analysis they need to have they need to have partners they need to have colleagues and they need to have peers and so I absolutely think that anyone who's interested in doing uh, learning more should check out CIRA and and if not becoming a member of CIRA which I of course highly encourage 
simply becoming friends and colleagues and peers with folks in a CIRA or a CIRA-like organization is a really good idea because these are not things that you can just learn and pick up on your own. Yeah, the, the, the thing I think that maybe caused me to focus more on this particular article than than I might have otherwise because a blog post is a blog post is a blog post. You can ignore mine just as well as you can ignore everybody else's. Um, you know, when when you get in an, a Reddit thread on a particular post that goes deep and you've got a lot of attaboys on, on that particular thread, uh, it does just because you get a lot of thumbs up on Hacker News or or whatever or Reddit or wherever doesn't necessarily mean that it's a it's a good thing that you've done. Like you know, it just means that other people have potentially misread the same thing that you've misread. And and I I can make mistakes just like anybody can make mistakes. Jay can make mistakes. You know, we we can all make mistakes, and it's great to have a forum where it's okay to make mistakes and it's okay to ask questions. And you don't have to know everything, and you can come together with people that have done things before. Because I look at your background, Allison, and I look at Michael Reitman's background, um, who are, aren't in this formal cyber discipline, but you've got you've got lots and lots of experience using data and using data-driven methodologies and using statistics and using machine learning and using graph theory to do various things. And, and Michael's got the same thing in Operation Futures and other stuff. You know, you've got a great formal background for how to understand, look at a problem dissect it, figure out what's a valid way of looking at it and what's a not a valid way of looking at it, and why not take advantage of the expertise if, if there's folks like you and Michael, you know, Jay and myself for that matter too, that are willing to go and, and kind of do that. I just think that these resources are there and why not help folks make better decisions if you can, and it's a safe forum, there's no criticism, it's a learning area, it's not the, it's not the, the fight club atmosphere of the rest of the internet and Twitter that's out there, it's just a pretty great place to come and do things. I do think it's a I do think it's a, a good environment to experiment and try new things out. Um, and I, I I hear what you're saying that you know an op-ed with numbers is still an op-ed. It's not proven research until it's gotten a little more stress testing than you know likes or retweets. So um, yeah, we should we should look to those things and we should. You you mentioned operations research. I'm getting a degree in applied economics. And there are people who work in marketing who have background in doing research and analytics. And there's a lot of different disciplines that we could look to to figure out uh, better models for making progress. So there, there's one other point that I could make in here, and that is that part of the challenge, and this goes back to something we haven't even talked about yet, is the AI winter, or the series of AI winters that have occurred. Um, and a lot of those were from failed expectations. Uh, you know, like uh, some of the early ones were trying to do, to work with natural language processing and, uh, and in a very high stakes environment. And essentially the, the accuracy of translating documents at that time was less than perfect and they needed perfect for this environment. And so there, it started a cascade of effects. There's, there's been two AI winters, uh, large AI winters have been smaller ones, but um, in the, I think the late 60s and then in the mid 80s, uh, 70s and 80s or something like that. But so it's been these two. And, uh, but a lot of that goes back to failed expectations. People thinking that they can build some intelligent system, you know, and forget the, the connotation you may have with artificial intelligence of creating a sentient machine. We're talking about artificial intelligence to do something smart. I mean, really, it's the 
the very close brother of machine learning. You can think of it like that. And in fact, there's a lot of overlap between artificial intelligence and machine learning. But I think that a lot of that goes back to failed expectations. And if if we go back to that second blog that we mentioned, if if that person took their analytics on that log file and went to their superiors, went to their company and said, look, I can discover anomalies using this technique. And what the technique is, is discovering has nothing to do with anomalies in the actual traffic. And but you're gonna you know you're gonna catch some things you're gonna catch some things that are weird not for the things that you're thinking they're weird but for other reasons, and you're gonna get might see some early success but over time it's going to show its true colors and stink, right? And and I think that this is another thing that we have to focus on within data science is to to say hey, we we want to implement this type of system we want to research the system we want to build this system we want to try and solve this problem, and all we want to do is do better than what we're doing now. And we think we can do that, as opposed to, hey, we want to build this system that's going to stop every single bad guy that attacks us, right? And that's what a lot of uh, that's where the expectations are, and that's where we get that first article that we mentioned on the podcast of like cybersecurity sucks for data science, right? We'll never get machine learning to work, and that is absolutely true if we think that we're going to use machine learning to stop every single bad thing that occurs. Right, and so I think it's just managing expectations that we have to be sure that anybody working in the field has to be very aware of what the expectations are, and work towards those and help set those accurately. Because if they are too high, and I think that they are in many cases, uh, that that's where you're going to get this backlash, and this is going to cause the the data science winter. I hear you, and I think that those um, those expectations both come from the inside out and the outside in, meaning, you know, security is seeing this potential tool as being really useful, but also, you know, the data science movement has been sort of picking up speed over the last, say, 10 years. Um, I used to work with DJ Patil, who uh, is now the chief data science officer of the USA or something like that. And he's always been very good at packaging up the problems that he is focused on solving. But he has also done a lot of work simply to um, just champion the idea of data science to the point where you have uh, General Assembly courses on this, um, Stanford has exec education courses on it, Coursera um, has all kinds of courses on this, and so you have folks thinking, oh, this is this amazing tool that um, I'm going to pick it up and I'm, and I'm going to be a data scientist, and they're more focused on the, the techniques and the problems that they're trying to solve. And this, um, I, and I have a specific example of this where um, I was hiring some analysts, machine, you know, machine learning experts or data scientist type folks, and I got a lot of questions um, to the point where I kind of snapped a little bit, not at the candidate, but just sort of internally my brain snapped, which was I kept getting this question. How much of this role is machine learning? Because I really want to do a lot of machine learning. And the reason why they wanted to do a lot of machine learning is they took a machine learning class in college and they um, did sentiment analysis on Twitter. I mean, like every single candidate basically did this project where they did sentiment analysis on Twitter and now all they wanted to do was machine learning and data science and they were just really excited about it. And um, eventually my response to this question was, 
this job isn't about machine learning. This job is about solving this problem. This job is about securing our users. This job is about preventing fraud on our network. This job is about making our platform safer. And we are going to use every single tool at our disposal to do that. And we have a lot of data, and we have a lot of users, and we have a lot of technology, and we have a lot of software developers. So the, the job is about solving the problem. The tools are the secondary thing. It's great that, ever, that it's great that we have more well-rounded candidates who um, have a lot of talent to draw on. All of that talent will be used. All of the talent, all the creativity will be used. But the focus should be on solving the problem, not on leveraging a particular tool. Actually, I think that's one of the most insightful statements that's ever been uttered on our podcast, Allison. Yeah. <laughs> because, no, seriously, because we, yeah. are, we, we, we talk a lot about the, 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 the what of data science and security, but, but the reality is, is there's you know, no amount of machine learning is going to prevent you from actually having to patch systems. No amount of machine learning <laughs> or statistics is going to stop you from actually having to push firewall rules for an application. No amount of anything like this is going to stop you from having to do good software development practices to to ensure that things don't go bad in your applications to begin with, right? I mean, there, there, there there's a, and actually, I think a recent discussion on on the serialist sort of went down this path, not necessarily as articulately or or as, and I'm part of the problem for that, or or as other stuff. But the real, but, but I think that's that's a great way of looking at this. Is we are solving a problem. There's a there's a ton of tools to solve those problems. In business speak, there's many levers to pull to make those problems uh, solved. And data science and machine learning specifically are just you know a couple of levers to actually deal with that. And that's just that's a beautiful thing, Allison. Thank you very much. Right on. So in summary. Um, so so I, I guess maybe maybe I, I cannot wear black the rest of this week, Jay. And maybe data science isn't as dead as I might have thought it was at the beginning of this podcast. No, but I, I do think that it's fair that we we could we probably should expect a backlash. I think that the the articles that we saw this week about, you know, cybersecurity, I can't remember how he worded it. It's it's the uh, what did he say about um, how to use it? It's, well, uh, well, so 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 I think the the, the central quote from the one article that I, that I think with the pipe dream, rather than waste money on the unproven promises of M machine learning and artificial intelligence, invest in your experts and tools that enhance their ability to search and identify components of a new attack. And the the irony of the lead sentence of that are of that entire what I would call blog rant on dark reading is that machine learning is actually part of the tool set. That's going to help you yeah, do that. Absolutely. So some yeah. serious, there is some serious irony that it opens up with, so, with but, an example. Yeah, I, I think that we can expect more articles like this. I think that we can expect more articles of people saying, I tried it, it didn't work. Right. Or I, I brought in a kid, you know, PhD in statistics and, and he failed. You know, or however it's going to work out, there's going to be more articles like this. And I think it's a challenge of, yeah. of expectations. And exactly. Uh, you know, everything well, we just talked about. 
Well, and also, you know, so again, to 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 sort of help help David maybe not feel so bad that that we that we did what we did in the podcast, you know, was last week bacon's gonna kill you, red meat's gonna kill you. So even other disciplines that have been using data science for a long time are also not not immune from this particular problem of potentially not even like for them. I think it was a communication problem, more an actual formulation of of a problem and and, and attack of a problem thing. But there's there's all sorts of other areas where this happens on a regular basis outside of security as well. Too. Too. So you, you're going to have problems across the board, and I'm not saying that we'll be problem-free in security if we start to work together more and create a more scientific atmosphere and a way to share ideas and you know a journal or peer review or whatever. I'm not saying it's going to make the world perfect, but it's going to make it a lot better if we can actually start working towards that. So let's let's just set expectations. Uh, whatever system we have in place to stop bad guys will fail at some point, right? There and there will be false positives. It doesn't matter if you're talking about uh, a really smart guy, you know, that, that can run a keyboard or if you're talking about a machine learning algorithm or whatever you're talking about, there's going to be false positives. There's going to be things that are missed, right? But the big question where we need to manage expectations is everything we build should be better than what we were doing yesterday. And really that is the goal. It's, it's evolution, right? So yes, we will screw up. Actually, I'm sure... I would venture to guess within the next year or two, we will have a catastrophic failure in machine learning somewhere within security. Some tool will say, well, I, I, my algorithm was tuned perfectly and it still failed. You know, it missed this one event or something. And of, of course, you know, if, if you had an, an algorithm that said, I'm going to catch 100%, I'm going to say you're full of crap, right? So, I mean, I think that we're going to have that, though. I think there's going to be a story out there and it's going to add fuel to the fire. And I can almost guarantee that Jay is going to like super mess up with this stuff in like the next year or two. Me? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I can guarantee that I will too. So I was oh, like, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, well, I, I, I was trying to, I was trying to be funny for Jay, but I guarantee you that every single person that's been on this podcast and will be on this podcast will mess up. That is the whole point of science. Fa failure is a part of science folks. Yeah, no, I, I just screwed up huge this week and lost about three days worth of work um, just from an off-by-one error in, in data collection and uh, really great time. So, but I mean, luckily, you know, it's caught long before it got even close to production. So it's, I guess it's not a big screw up, but. So I, Allison, any parting thoughts? Well, I have been actually I've been thinking a lot about failure lately. So this is sort of an orthogonal comment. I've been thinking about failure and how if I if I'm really a person who believes in scientific advancement that I really have to embrace failure. I mean and and think of and recast failure as a learning opportunity. There's some sort of weird irony in this because I, in my work, I do a lot of automation and specifically crafting automated learning systems. The idea that the feedback loop is embedded and that the system is able to sort of automatically update and adjust to new information coming in. And so I guess my parting thought is I hope we can all be a lot more graceful about learning. Yep. That means and that extends to a lot absorbing of failure, absorbing failure and converting it into advancement. Yeah. We learn through feedback, and there's a lot of feedback and failure. Yeah. 
All right. Well, with that, um, Allison Miller, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, guys. We have to have her back on. Yeah, absolutely. She's too smart to not have that done. Yeah, exactly. I'll go do some more learning, and then I'll come back on. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, guys, and we will talk to you later. Thank you.